Welcome all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm your host Brandy and this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here friends for season three episode 11 murder in Carthage. Hey Chris. Hey Brandy. (laughs) We are back in the studio after a great live show in Brownwood. A great interview with uh, Ranger Bess. Uh, I think we're both just kind of on cloud nine now. I would agree. Yeah, so great big things going on. Um, Great show in Brownwood. Hope to go back soon. Thank you, 10 Mile Productions, for your hospitality. Chris, it was a good time. Yeah, I had a lot of fun as well. It was a ton of fun. We got to meet so many new friends. So can't wait to get back to Brownwood. And friends, of course, if you'd love to help and support the show and help keep the decanter full um, and the food pairings coming, all you need to do is head to our website, click on that Kofi link and contribute to the wine fund. We give you your own little personal shout out on the, to the show. Thank you, Jess Klein and Casey Cavazos this month, Chris. Um, I'm sorry, this week. <laughs> this week, they uh, bought us some wine. So thanks, ladies. Yes, thank you ladies. Appreciate that. And of course, if you enjoy the show, please head over to Apple or wherever you listen to it, um, our show. Click on those five stars, say a few nice words because it only helps us grow. And don't forget to hit subscribe while you're there. And of course, Chris, where can they find us on social media? Well, they can find us at Texas Wine and True Crime on Facebook as well as Instagram. Yep, Facebook or Instagram, and we have that private group in Facebook. So just click join and, and we'll let you in. And they can find us on our website too, TexasWineAndTrueCrime.com. Yes, and you can leave, uh, Chris, we have a Google too. People can leave reviews we on our Google. Google. We have a Google. We're a Googler. Wow. We <laughs> Google us. Moving on up. Didn't know we had a Google. <laughs> Google us. All right, Chris, the crime we chose for this week is the case of Bernie today. The wine for this week comes from our friends at Los Pinos Ranch Vineyards. We are simping on a Cabernet Sauvignon. We're looking for notes of black currant, blackberry, and cassis, taking a delightful stance at the front of the palate before making room for that firm, fleshy tannins and a long finish. This one, my friends, is a must-try Cabernet. Yeah, it's very good. It's very good. And of course, hang out to the end. Um, You can hear our wine reading and review and learn more about our friends at Los Pinos. All right, hon, are you ready to get into this week's case, Murder in Carthage? Let's do it. All right, friends, let's sip some wine and talk some crime. This week, we are discussing the case of Bernie Tada out of Carthage, Texas. As always, we are going to give a few facts about the city the crime took place in. So here we go. I think I don't think I'm pronouncing that right. Is it Tada today? You've said it like three different ways since we started. <laughs> it's it's I believe it is Bernie Tida. 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 We can mm-hmm. go with that. Bernie it's Tida. spelled If we're incorrect, please correct us. Uh, I think it's Tida. Bernie Tida. Uh, T-I-E-D-E is how it's spelled. Um, but I think it's Tida. All right. So we are out of Carthage. And um, so here we go. Three fun facts. Number one, Chris. Oil and gas discovery in the area led to an economic boom. Carthage is indebted to the oil and gas industry, which contributed to, greatly to its growth and is known as the gas capital of the United States. Interesting. Did you know that? I did not know that. A lot of people got rich. I've heard of Carthage, but I just really didn't know what kind of made it all tick. 
Yep. A big oil there. Um, all right. Number two, guys. Carthage is the home of the famous Texas Country Music Hall of Fame and the Tex Ritter Museum. Is he related to Jack Ritter? I don't know. Do you know who Tex Ritter is? I think no. he's a country music person. I just know Jack Ritter from Three's Company back in the day. So Yes. The Yes. Jack Ritter, rest Sorry in peace. For you, Loved him. You younger listeners, you yeah, might not know what that we is. We love Jack so. Ritter. All right, number three, guys. This city is 150 miles southeast of Dallas. Do you know where this is, Chris? It's it's just like directly east of us. I don't even know. It was kind of like just us sitting out I there. Mean, yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely heard of the city. I wasn't really aware of exactly where it was. Uh, I feel in, like we go more west than we do east. Well, that's not always true. No, but I just, I don't know, I ever remember traveling by car through this area anywhere we've gone. Have we? Well, I mean, I I certainly have. I mean, I'm I'm just trying to think of how, what, yeah. what I've been to. I guess I'd have to look at a little map and see. I'm sure I've traveled down that way before. Yeah, I just don't think I've ever remember like going through Carthage, but maybe we have. All right. In November 1996, Bernie Tida was a full-time business manager and travel companion to one of the richest widows in Carthage, Marjorie Nugent. After a disagreement between the two, on that fateful day in November, Bernie grabbed a 22 caliber rifle that was posted up against a nearby wall in the garage and shot Marjorie four times in the back. Nine months later, her body is found in a freezer in her own home. This is the story of Marjorie Nugent. Okay, Chris, have you heard of this case before? I heard of it more after the movie came out. Okay. But I do not recall um, back in the 90s, although I will admit that the 90s are a little fuzzy. <laughs> Certain aspects of uh, you know <laughs> pop culture and news probably didn't ring so true in my young brain back then. I was focused on a few more things, but so you remember this case in the movie, right? No, I I, I mean, oh, so you okay? So when I was kind of opposite. Came out, it, yeah. was, it was it came. I mean, you know that's that's kind of where I had okay. heard about it. So so I was like opposite. I really didn't know about the movie. And if I did, I never watched it. Um, I've watched it now, but I I had not watched it. Um, and so I knew a little bit about this case, but I found out some really interesting stuff about this case. Um, our own Skip Hollinsworth, how he was involved in this, which I was kind of not privy to. I didn't even know how involved and how much he had actually written about this case for the Texas Monthly. So, okay, big story back in the 90s, um, even bigger, like Chris said, uh, there was a movie made about this crime, which we'll discuss later on in the episode. So let's talk about our victim in this case, Marjorie Nugent, and how she met Bernie Tida, so everyone can get a good picture of this relationship and how everything sort of just transpired. I just want to say like, ta-da, every time you say that, but that's just me. Like, ta-da. I think it's T-da. I know. I'm just... Am I saying ta-da? No. I just... Okay. Well, every time you say it, I, it just makes me think of ta-da. I think I'm just going to say Bernie. I'm just going to say Bernie. Just say Bernie, because that was the name Bernie. of the movie, and it just, you know... Okay, How many Bernie. Bernies do we know? So. Bernie. We're going to stick with Bernie. Let's go with Bernie. Okay, Keep Chris. We're going to go back six years before the murder, when Bernie met Marjorie. 
Okay, so at this time, Bernie is working in Carthage as an assistant funeral director at Hawthorne Funeral Home. So Marjorie's husband had just passed away, and Bernie was in charge of helping with the details of the burial and service. Okay, so I'm going to sort of describe his role, Chris, at the funeral home. He was said to be involved in the sales. He was good at selling the caskets. He made everyone look beautiful. The women in Carthage said he would take wrinkles away on your face. He would put flowers in your hand. He would comfort families after the service. I mean, this guy kind of went above and beyond for these families. Well, that's, um, you know, that's the right business to be in to take wrinkles out of someone's face. (laughs) I mean, he like, he was so good at the makeup. He would, he taught classes on like the proper way to for someone to look in their casket with an open casket. I mean, it's pretty incredible. So he was very, very, very involved in the the actual burial, the service. He would sing Amazing Grace. That was his thing. He sang in the choir. He was a really good singer. He would sing at the funerals and the service. Anyways, very involved, very in touch with the families. So Marjorie's husband was very successful in the oil business and had a net worth of about $10 million when he died. And of course, Marjorie being the spouse, she takes over all decision making over the estate. Chris, they had so much money. He owned a bank in Carthage. That, that means you have a lot of money. That means you have a lot of money. So when he died, she took over running the bank. And one resident said, quote, she turned down loans for fun. For fun. For fun. Interesting way to have fun. Yeah. At people's expense. I would think making more money would be more fun, but, you know. Okay. So it is at her husband's actual funeral service that Marjorie and Bernie really start to connect. And people would say that after this day, the two became inseparable. Although, Chris, she is more than 40 years his senior. That's more than a cougar, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think she's past it's more like a Siberian tiger. <laughs> okay, but here, here was where this gets interesting. Just a year after meeting Bernie, she alters her will and disinherited her only child, Rod Nugent, leaving her entire $10 million estate to Bernie. Really? Yes. Happened pretty quick. Got to be something fishy going on. Family, you know, got to be wondering what's up. Well, um, be, I disinherited her son because it was said throughout the town that she was estranged from people in her family. That And, and we're going to kind of learn about how kind of people felt about her and how, you know, maybe... The town kind of the the town wants a different kind of justice in this case. So so let's uh, let's kind of continue and see and see what we're what we're hinting at here. Okay, so she changes the will, Chris, and then by 1993, Marjorie convinces Bernie to go part time. I mean, he's going part time to almost no time at his job at the funeral home to become her full time assistant and travel companion. Sounds like a boy toy. It does, but, you know, they went on cruises, they went to Russia, they went to Europe, and they always went first class. High dollar travel everywhere. 
somebody somebody had said that they were always in some sort of hot spring <laughs> which nice. is amazing by the way yes but that's kind of how they were they were constantly gone constantly traveling and i don't believe this was a sexual relationship chris between the two he was friendly to her she took a liking to him but i don't believe that they were friendly in any other dif- in any other way okay okay and i and i don't think um i don't think the town really felt that either so for the next three years, Bernie was by Marjorie's side until November 19th, 1996, when Bernie grabbed a rifle that he will later tell authorities just happened to be nearby, leaning against the wall in the garage. And he shot Marjorie during an argument. As she turned to walk away, he pumped four shots into her back. And the gun just happened to be loaded. Happened to be loaded. In Carthage, only in Carthage. In Carthage, leaning up against the um, garage, you know, like the door leading out into the garage or she was leaving to go, I think, run an errand. I guess you never know when that squirrel is going to be walking along the fence or something. Um, So it was said that in the movie, it's showing him having to shoot an armadillo. There's an armadillo in her yard. Varmints, varmints. Varmints. And he in also in the movie, and we'll talk about this later. He says something like I killed her with the armadillo gun. Oh, okay. Could be she was like yelling at him, telling him to basically get rid of the armadillo for her. He would be my squirrel gun if that was the case. Squirrel gun, yeah. <laughs> All right. So Not after in front of the squirrel, sorry. No, no, squirrels. They're very destructive. Um, yes. You know. All right. So after he killed her, he decided to put her in the deep freeze of her home um, in the garage, Chris. So she's got a deep freezer in the garage. And the body was discovered August 18th, 1997. Wow. Yeah. It's a long time. Nine months. So nine months went by with this woman missing, and it seems very few people are really looking for her. She had family, but even if she was kind of distant or disassociated with her family, you know, what about the townspeople? So she didn't have many people wondering where she was. Well, of course not. She was turning down loans for fun. Yeah. (laughs) So, Chris, there were a few people asking, you know, but he always, Bernie always had a story, an excuse. um, And the people of Carthage, they believed him. I mean, the one person besides Bernie that she talked to on a consistent basis was her stockbroker. And his name is Lloyd. And Lloyd was trying to get a hold of her. And Bernie would always have an excuse of where she was. So nine months went by. Um, and I, you know, again, nobody's really looking for her, but guess what he started to do? He continued to spend her money. Okay. So when she didn't, you know, when she changed over her will, Chris to Bernie, she also gave him power of attorney. He was making investments, um, you know, uh, with her money. He had a private plane with her money. He, you know, he used her money. He gave to the church. He donated. I mean, he bought cars for people. It I sounds mean, like he had access to her accounts. In he did. Full account. access to her accounts. And so that that's the thing. It's, you know, he's spending her money. People in town know, like they know he has power of attorney. And, you know, they're, they're, 
you know, they see him spending. Um, but the people of Carthage, interesting, describe Marjorie as abrasive, mean, hostile, unfriendly, and to top it off, she's rich, powerful, and controlling. Chris, she did have a couple of sisters, and one of those sisters actually lived in the town. Um, and I was thinking about my sisters, Chris, and we live, you know, in a very much more populated area than Carthage. But do you really think nine months would go by before anybody talked to me? <laughs> do you think nine months would go by if anybody talked to me? <laughs> I mean, could we really pull this off for like nine months? I think when somebody come finally, I mean, I don't know. It's just weird. It's just not, it's just a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think nine months would go by if if I'm if I'm missing. So um, all right. So Marjorie Nugent's estranged son, Rod Nugent, was living and working in Amarillo as a physician in 1997. So he started to get a little worried. Okay. It's been nine months. He, even though he doesn't really speak to his mom and she disinherited him and uh, he can't get a hold of her. So he decides to travel to Carthage uh, nine months after after she goes uh, missing. So Rod goes to the police, reports his mom missing. At some point, Chris, they decide that they're going to go ahead and break into the home of Marjorie, basically with the police. I mean, they've gone and said, listen, uh, Bernie, we can't get an answer. People have asked Bernie, you know, where is she? Where is she? And he has different answers. So since the person who saw her... Um, you know, that day, which is him, and he does everything for her, they decide it's time to go and enter the home. So once they're in, Chris, they look all over, including the garage, and there in the deep freeze, they find Marjorie Nugent's body. Why'd they look in there? They looked everywhere. Well, I think, so in the movie, it was taped up. Uh. And the police said, why would she tape up her freezer? And her body was underneath like frozen produce. Like she was at the very bottom of the freezer. Um, but he will eventually say he put her in there to basically keep it fresh so he could give her a proper burial one day. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I yeah. So after that. he spent all the money. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I mean, so we'll talk about that, though. But we'll talk about the money and what he spent and what he's spending on. Okay. So they find her body. So obviously, obviously, Chris, they're all looking for Bernie. He was Marjorie's sidekick. He, and Some people even say he kind of became her slave. She um, told him what to do, told him what friends he could have, who he could go and hang out with. If she called him, he needed to come back immediately. He was sort of her, what'd you say, pool boy? I said boy sense? toy. Boy toy. Pool. And they probably had a pool, <laughs> I guess. Maybe she told him to clean the pool. Sounds more like a wife. <laughs> I'm trying to swallow some wine and not spit it on my microphone. Okay. Anyways. Do bad for microphones. <laughs> okay, so... We're talking about a town of 6,500 people, Chris. This is everyone knows everyone. I mean, the, she she was with him all the time, and he's making excuses. So once authorities find him, he immediately admits it. 
He says, yes, I did. I killed her. He said that after the murder, he had put the body in the freezer, like I said, to, um, you know, just just to give her a place, a safe place until he can give her a proper burial. Um, So he acknowledges that he has been spending her money for the last nine months. But listen to what he gives it to. Civic activities, gifts to academic and civic programs and groups. He gives it to friends. He buys people cars. He gave money to the church. I think he built a playground. So any money that he... But this is what's so crazy. He is loved by these people because he's so giving, even if it's not monetary. Before he met and became that close to this woman, he wasn't a rich man. I mean, he he was the funeral director, right? But he would go and he would buy the widows a nice spa, you know, gift and bring it and say he's sorry and he's thinking about them. So he spent his own money before meeting her. Make mm-hmm. sense? Yes. So he was already kind of a giving person. Um, so people kind of just loved him, but it's funny because it's almost like they were acting like it was his money though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they were like, Bernie's such the giver. Like he's giving, he's building, but it's like, and then some people thought, well, maybe he has turned this woman who people don't think is very nice. Maybe he's turned her into somebody who wants to be a giver. So interesting angle. That's kind of what I thought too. Like some people like, Oh, he controls the money. She's being nicer. You know, maybe she was a little nicer when he was around. So, um, He's he was responsible for doing a couple of things. He brought the first art festival to Carthage. He like like I said, he was a little league coach. Um, and I just don't think people thought twice about the way he spent the money. That's just kind of what I think. Well, it sounds like they were taking a little bit of advantage of the situation as well, too. Yes, and um, but you know, like I said, people knew about it, and they knew he, they flew in private planes. He actually flew the plane that they used. Um, and they lived the high life. They were living the high life. So what went wrong? And now it's time for a wine recess and a word from our sponsor. This week, our show is being sponsored by our friends from the Military True Crime Addict podcast. If you are searching for a podcast about crime relating to actual life events of military personnel, veterans, family members, and those associated with the military, then you have come to the right place. Military True Crime Addict Podcast explores a plethora of actual true crime stories that have not yet been reported by news outlets or media. True, actual events that might just shock you. These stories need to be told and heard. They touch on topics such as assault, harassment, sexual preference, abuse of power, murder, hazing, rape, and all stories that in some way relate to our military, veterans, and their extended families. Also, they have an abundance of episodes about serial killers with military backgrounds that you will not believe. Most importantly, they are victim advocates. They provide a voice for the victims and hear their side of the story. Their goal is to raise awareness of the heinous crimes and those most impacted by those events. You don't have to be a military expert to tune in. This podcast is easy to follow and enjoy. You can find them on Facebook at Military True Crime Addict 
or check out their website, militarytruecrimeaddict.com. So run, don't walk, and go subscribe to Military True Crime Addict wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, Chris. Um, let's talk about your dish. Yum, yum, yum. Where do you want to start? <laughs> tell everyone. what it, it was so good. I ate every single bite of it. So tell everyone. There was four different things, right? There was four different things. So, so we had good. a cab. And so a lot of times, okay. um, was cab go with red meat? I'm not a big red meat eater. And so I was kind of uh, thinking, well, what can I pair with this? Um, so we did actually have a red meat, but it was a rare uh, seared, uh, sorry, sesame seared uh, ahi tuna with mm-hmm. uh, kind of a ginger lime soy sauce on top. We um, also had some summer squash, kind of a Japanese style summer squash and scallion mix. I did uh, make the addition of some chili garlic snow peas, a little bit more of so a co- kind of Korean style, I guess you would say. And then um Made a nice little summer salad. I call it the Harajuku um, salad, which is kind of a mix of watermelon, uh, red peppers, and cucumber, and a little bit of extra stuff in there. And so a nice, it was kind of a light meal, but um, I thought it went well with the wine and um, fairly low carb, I guess you would say. So It was so good. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I liked it a lot, too. It came out well. It's I a, thought it went well. You, you encrusted it yourself with the sesame, and it was perfect i just thought it was just it just so professionally done it well, just looks so good yeah and it tastes delicious so guys if you want the recipe just you know send us an email we'll send that out to you thank you chris and Luis pinos thank you for this wine it's yeah, it was so delicious. i liked it a lot too it was very not good. a huge cab drinker but it um it did uh it went well and i liked it yeah it went really well and your tuna was delicious so thank you well thank you Okay, so Bernie tells the police he just couldn't take it anymore, Chris. He says that Marjorie was hateful. She yelled at him, isolated him, made him feel trapped. He didn't feel like himself. And that when he picked up the gun to shoot her that day, he said, it didn't even feel like I was doing it. I put her in the freezer to one day give her a proper burial. Bernie is arrested and put in jail. So, Chris, the story runs in the Dallas Morning News. And who spots it? Skip Hollinsworth. So after her body's found, they put it at, or, you know, they put a story in the paper. So, Chris, this is where I just started to get fascinated with the story because this was the part I did not know about this crime and and the movie and everything else. So I was listening to an interview um, Skip did with NPR. And in the interview, he says that he sees an article in the Dallas Morning News about this this, uh, murder in small town in East Texas involving the richest lady in town and the funeral director. And that her body was found in a freezer and that her remains while still in the freezer, were being put on the back of a truck and were being sent to the Dallas medical examiner's office. So what does Skip Hollinsworth say um, in this interview? He hightails it to Carthage. (laughs) Yeah, because it's probably going to get good. 
<laughs> this is great. I love it. So when he arrives in Carthage, he goes to the most popular restaurant in the town called Daddy Sam's BBQ and Catfish. Interesting mix uh, <laughs> of... Uh... Of surf and turf there. Of our favorite. So, Chris, their tagline is... Only in Texas. Chris, their tagline, you kill it, I'll kick it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like our Even kind Even armadillo, of I bet. <laughs> okay, so while he is there, he sees the DA. The DA's name is Danny Buck Davidson, and a group of townspeople surround, are surrounding him, basically trying to talk to him and convince him, go easy on Bernie. Forget it ever happened. If Marjorie, you know, Marjorie probably had it coming so he is sitting in this restaurant listening and taking notes and one thing he noted which became a, you know eventually a pivotal part in this case was a woman in the crowd around Danny Buck said quote and you know what I don't care if Mrs. Nugent was the richest lady in town she was so mean that even if Bernie did kill her you won't be able to find anyone in town who's going to convict him for murder wow she was loved <laughs> So now Danny Buck's mind is running with this, okay? So Skip is interviewing the townspeople. He got to spend some time in Carthage. He's trying to understand the dynamic of Bernie, Marjorie, why these people were basically saying this man should be forgiven and not convicted for shooting a woman in the back four times. Chris, one woman even said, well, at least it wasn't five. It's cold. Not even kidding. After his time there, he comes back and publishes an article about it in the Texas Monthly back in 1998. So since then, he's written a few more pieces about the case, which are great reads. So I highly recommend diving into those when you guys have some time. Um, but Skip, great work on um, I'm writing about this case. So, okay. So now he has confessed to the murder of Marjorie, but because he is so loved, Chris... And Marjorie is so despised, the townspeople decide to start rallying around Bernie. Okay, so now you have a DA faced with the fact that this town wants to see Bernie go free. He knew it would be difficult to try this case in Panola County, which included Carthage and other surrounding towns. So, Chris, normally... Right. A change of venue is granted by a court when a judge feels like a defendant, you know, wouldn't get a fair trial in that county, you know, where the crime took place. But here you have Danny Buck asking the court for a change of venue because on the fact that they would never get a conviction for the murder of Marjorie Nugent and Carthage. Isn't that crazy? It is completely unheard of. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of that either. It, it was I've unheard of, of. I've heard of it. Certainly in the first instance where they feel like the defendant won't get a fair trial, but right. never in the uh, case where the, <laughs> where the, they won't, where they know the they'll never get a, guilty. Won't get a fair trial. Yeah, exactly. Um, seemed, that doesn't seem very fair, but you know, well, it was unheard of. So this actually happened in this case. They eventually moved it, but yeah, it's not something that happens really at all. So the judge decided to move the trial to San Augustine County, a few people testified, including Bernie, and he basically tells the court that he loved Marjorie and that he wasn't sure why he did what he did and that he put her in the deep freeze, you know, to one day give her a proper burial. And he was just so, so sorry. So he testified um, on his be on his own behalf. OK, so the D.A. came at Bernie on the stand, though, 
basically trying to say you're a con man, you were taking advantage of an old lady, you were set to inherit all of her money, and you were stealing from her, and to avoid being detected, you had to kill her. So that's the DA's approach, Chris, in court. Mm -hmm. But here's my question. If that was true, then why not get rid of her body? Like, he knew he could buy time and get rid of her. He had his own plane. Yeah, Take her somewhere. Flew to Columbia or something. Yeah. And then he would have inherited everything. So why kill her and then keep her body? Okay. But after he killed her, uh, he continued to spend her money. He gave it to the church, the schools. He kept the city alive, Chris. People said that. He literally poured almost every dime he took from her. He put it into the town of Carthage. A philanthropist of sorts. Yes. And people loved him because of it. Um, But like I said, did anyone stop for a second and think, wait, this isn't even his money, really? Like, I know he's spending it. I know he's power of attorney over it. But people are thinking him, not Marjorie. Yes. See? Hmm. All right, so Davidson's refusal, the DA, to bend to public pressure results in Bernie's conviction, and he was sentenced to life in prison. In 1999, um, Bernie was convicted and sentenced to life by a San Augustine jury for first-degree murder of Marjorie Nugent. But, Chris, the story is not over. I didn't think so. (laughs) Not over, because it's time to talk about the movie, and the movie is called? Bernie. Bernie. Not (laughs) ta-da. Ta-da. Bernie. Yes, friends. There is a movie made about this crazy story in this East Texas oil town where uh, you have a big-hearted, kind man that everyone in town loves and a woman that most of the town despises. So uh, now, Chris, I had not seen this movie, but I did watch it. Have you seen it? So I've seen bits and pieces of it. I really don't think I've sat down and watched the whole thing uh but you know i certainly uh, remember when it came out um, i remember it was a you know interesting um role for the for jack black to play who plays the yes. lead character in it and so i was uh some, somewhat piqued my interest and so i guess i will have to sit down and actually watch it i liked it all the way through yeah um i learned something that i did not know uh so i had not watched the movie i i did watch it i enjoyed it um but I learned that the movie, Chris, was based off the article that Skip originally wrote about this case in 1998. Interesting. Did you know that? I did not know that. <sighs> Telling you. I can't wait to sit down and talk with him. <laughs> I know. He's a good one. God, he's so good. Okay, so after I find this out, I listened, like I mentioned, to that interview on NPR. And I have to admit, the fascination with the details. Okay, so Austin Filmmaker... Chris, is it Richard Linklater? Yes. Okay. And Skip Hollinsworth wrote this screenplay. The Bernie screenplay. Did you know that? I did not know that either. Okay. So Hollinsworth said the script sat on the shelf for a decade until it was filmed. I didn't I didn't know any of this. Did you know that part too? No, who directed it? Did Richard Linklater yeah. direct it as mm-hmm. well? Okay. Okay, and he becomes a huge part of this. Okay, so you guys, if you haven't watched 
the the film, you should. Um, and you need to listen to the interview Skip did with NPR about filming of this movie, and that sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. So definitely have to listen to that. Okay, so Chris, the movie's made. When people watch it, I think they'll get a, a good sense about this town, how the f- people felt about these two, how they felt about his conviction. Now, there are actors that play the leading characters, you know, like the DA, Marjorie, Bernie, like you said, Jack Black. But most of the people they interview in this movie, Chris, live in Carthage. Oh, really? Yeah, they know her. They know both of them. And so it brings this life to a a Texas city, which for terrible circumstances, but just... Yeah, so they were able to actually go and interview people in Carthage and really kind of get an idea of of how they felt about em- everything, okay? So um, after the movie was released, attorney Jody Cole became interested in Bernie's case. So this attorney goes to the filmmaker and asks to see the records from the first trial. She's going through the records and she realizes that some of the items that were seized from Bernie's home were books about coping with sexual abuse as a child. So Jody finds this interesting. She goes and meets Bernie in prison. Um, he and she tells him, you know, who she is and, and so forth. And she asks him, you know, why do you have these books? And he basically says, because I was abused constantly by an uncle when I was a child. So I have been reading these books to figure out how to cope with life. Hmm. Based on this information, they decide to post a or file a post-conviction writ of habeas corpus in which Bernie alleges that his constitutional rights were violated in the first trial because of this newly discovered evidence. Interesting, right? It is pretty interesting. So because of the abuse, a uh, psychiatrist evaluated him. Of course, the new attorney uh, decided that she was going to have some psychiatrists talk to him and testified that he could have been in a d- disassociate state during the murder. So the filmmaker testified on his behalf and even agreed to um, let Bernie come and live with him. Did not know that either. While he was out. So the Texas Criminal Courts of Appeal approved the writ and Bernie walked out of prison after being incarcerated at the time for 15 years. That is incredible. So after he was released, he moves into the home um, of Richard Linklater, right? The filmmaker in Austin as part of the agreement. And Chris, all of this was done. All of it. The writ, the approval of the judge, the agreement with the Texas Criminal Courts of Appeal with letting him out. All of this was done without one mention to the Nugent family. Yeah, that is. I, I, I can't even believe that either. This case is insane. This is... District Attorney Davidson, the same prosecutor who built his reputation on putting Bernie away for life, agreed with Bernie's request to be released. So bear in mind, Chris, at this point, the movie's come out. The movie has been made. 
the you know he felt like he was kind of a celebrity Matthew McConaughey played him in the movie right he was the DA Matthew McConaughey so understandably you have the Nugent family asking what in the world is going on here how is this man able to be released so quickly and really under what evidence because of what was said in the movie so it just started to become mind-boggling for them that is mind-boggling. I would I would agree with that. I, so I mean, it, yeah. I mean, so did he become sort of a star, and that sort of helped his release? I don't know. So he's out. He got out. Um, but of course, they filed it because they wanted a new trial, right, for a resentencing, and with time served. So he's already served fifteen years. So he's hoping whatever you know they come out with, they dock off the fifteen years that he's already spent. Um, the retrial, be- the resentencing trial began on April 6, 2016. So he was ab- out for about two years, released from prison for two years. Um, the granddaughter and the son of Marjorie took the stand in the second trial and basically ba- blamed Bernie for alienating Marjorie from her family and stealing millions of dollars from her. Um, but Chris, other witnesses testified the opposite, that Marjorie spoke highly of Bernie and had no qualms at all with the way he spent her money. Um, it was even said that there were about 80 people that testified at the new trial. I think a lot of the townspeople talked on the behalf of Bernie yes. um, because people loved him. All right. But after it was all said and done, Bernie was sentenced to 99 years. He is incarcerated at the John B. Connolly unit in Kennedy, Texas. He will be eligible for parole in August 2029. Coming up. Coming up. Come on the podcast, Bernie. Come on podcast, Bernie. Crazy craziness. I feel like I could just spend an hour interviewing Skip Hollinsworth about this story. Probably longer than that. I know it's just so guys so much out there on this case we could have put it probably in five parts um, with all of Skip's writings there is writings for okay so you know was he removed from reality the moment he took the life of Marjorie and sudden passion sudden passion is basically what they said um, you know he did was just sudden passion. They were arguing, they were fighting, something triggered him from abuse he suffered when he was a child. And that's why he did what he did. Or was he a con man? Like some in Carthage believe and murdered Marjorie before she could find out Chris that he was embezzling all that money from her. Yeah. I don't know. Guys, do your own research. Come up with your own thoughts about this case. Um, This is a hard part, Chris, because he spent her money freely, openly, and the town knew it. The people knew it, yet he never moved out of his modest tiny home in Carthage. He never spent the money on himself, Chris. Yeah, it sounds like he helped everybody else but himself. He never bought himself cars. He bought other people cars, like I said earlier, uh, that people that needed him. Uh, yeah, and some believe every penny he spent of Marjorie's money was given to better the town and people of Carthage. Kind of wish we would have known Bernie. <laughs> but lived in the same house, drove the same car. Um, yeah. Well, Chris, that concludes Season 3, Episode 11, Murder in Carthage. Friends, if you want to see pictures related to this case, you can find them on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Strange case, huh, Chris? Very strange. 
So strange. And it will be interesting to see 2029 and um, if the town of Carthage rallies around him. So I wonder how, so how, wonder how many years he spent by then. So if it was 15 in 2016, that's only five. So 21. So he'd have spent 29 years. By that's that a long point. time. That's a long time. All right, babe. You ready to review this wine and cork it? Yes, absolutely. So good. I know. We're not, we don't buy a lot of Cabernet. You no. know, I was thinking about that. Almost we never. Almost never. But Los Pinos Ranch Vineyards, you must know us because this one is delish, delish, delish. The white you sent us was so good, too. Um, I agree. Oh, Chris, it's so good. Los Pinos, five corks. Five corks for being awesome. This wine is good. You've got two locations people need to go visit. Pittsburgh, Texas and Fredericksburg, Texas. They have a beautiful winery, a restaurant. Their grapes are grown right in their vineyards. They offer wine tastings. They have a gift shop you can buy a goodie for and bring back to a friend and a tasting room. Of course, most important thing, tasting room, right? I can't wait to visit them. So please go check out our friends at Los Pinos Ranch Vineyards and tell them your friends at Texas Wine and True Crime sent you. All right, babe. You want to do the organization this week? Sure. Yay. Well, guys, you know we do an organization. It inspires us just to be givers. And, you know, everybody should just be better people in general. So, Chris, um, I did want to say, though, since our mascot, Princess Buttercup, just turned one this month, I wanted to dedicate this week's organization to her. Is that okay? I'll allow that. (laughs) All right, honey. What are we sharing with our friends today? I mean, all the episodes she's... (laughs) I know. Ruined. (laughs) Ruined. Okay, so we're going to be discussing puppies behind bars. Sometimes our puppy is behind bars. (laughs) Is she behind bars right now? Um, Not Mm. currently, but every now and then, like when we have to leave the house, she's behind bars, but... Puppies Behind Bars, they train prison inmates to raise service dogs for wounded war veterans and first responders, as well as explosive detection canines for law enforcement. Mm. So the puppies enter prisons at the same, uh, I'm sorry, at the age of eight weeks and live with their inmate puppy raisers for Uh, approximately 24 months. Okay. And as the puppies mature into well-loved, well-behaved dogs, their raisers learn what it means to contribute to society rather than take take it from it. So Puppies Behind Bars programs, uh, they bring love and healing of dogs to hundreds of individuals every year. The dogs bring hope and pride to the raisers and independence and security to those that they serve. I like um, uh, how we're calling them raisers. That's an interesting term. A pride to their razors. Yes. I know. Uh, so you can donate, you can volunteer, you can go check out their friends at puppy behind, puppiesbehindbars.com. Oh, I love this. Check them out. Puppiesbehindbars.com. We will have that in our show notes. Um, good, good pick. Buttercup, happy birthday. Happy birthday to anyone else's little pups out there. Um, Chris, thanks for tonight, babe. Good Absolutely. food, Thank good you. wine. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought the wine was really good. It, it's, so um, good. In reading the description, too, always, um, you know, as our palates get more um, more um, acute with uh, yes. with everything that we're, we've been, we've been drinking, um, I definitely tasted some of the, you know, sometimes, you know, they have descriptions on the back, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't taste that. It just, but 
I think this one was really spot on. I did really taste the kind of the current in the and the the cassis that they described, but I thought you know the kind of peppery aftertaste. It really does kind of yes. fill your mouth and coats it. It does have a you know it 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 has an aftertaste, but it's not a bad aftertaste. It does really kind of sit, and you know you can really kind of. Uh, it went perfect with that spicy sauce you had. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I thought too, because it kind of so had a peppery good. finish, and yes. then I think the um, you know those uh, chili garlic they had a little spice to them, and, you know, so it wasn't um, and very um, kind of the first time I think I've ever really had like a red wine um, with a fish, but being it was typical, you know, I guess you could safely say, and even if you look at our pictures, it is a red meat. <laughs> so to yeah, speak. and I was thinking the same thing. Like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to ask him. I'm going to wait till he explains it on the show. I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> just eat it and take my word for it. Huh? <laughs> I trust you, babe. Well, thank you. All right. Well, until next time, friends, stay safe, have fun, and cheers to next time. Cheers to next time. 